Welcome to Cartels, Conspiracies, and Camarena. I'm Jack Llewellyn. Thank you for joining me. For those of you who've been following along at home, you probably have noticed that we skipped a week. And uh, last weekend, instead of recording a podcast, I went to the Denver Broncos game uh, against the 49ers because my niece's husband, so my nephew, nephew-in-law, plays for the Broncos as a rookie offensive lineman. And family came from out of town to go watch him play. We had great seats. Thank you very much. Um, root for Luke Wattenberg, number 60 on the Broncos, even if you don't root for the Broncos. Uh, so that's the reason for uh, taking a week off. And we're going to catch back up on some things now. Um, we're going to talk about a couple of things today. And we're going to continue kind of the dialogue we've had the last couple of weeks uh, you know, where we talked about what, what are facts, what is, uh, what makes something persuasive or what makes something credible. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. And then we're going to get into an area um, that we've covered before uh, that, frankly, is going to annoy a couple of long-term, uh, long-time uh, listeners. But um, we're going to talk about the CIA again, but we're going to do it in this specific way and with a certain bent to it. This will lead into um, a second discussion about the CIA next week when we're going to pull it all together and we're going to be able to come up with, I think, some pretty concrete conclusions, some pretty good analysis, and um, and I think there's value to that, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. As we've been doing, you know, we talk about the Carl Quintero situation, and we've got no real new updates. I will tell you... We are going to have an expert uh, sometime in October to appear on the podcast and talk about extradition laws. So I think that people will find that interesting, having a hard time kind of uh, getting that scheduled. But we will do that. Won't be next weekend, but sometime in October. Uh, the one other news from the week is last week I told you that there were pictures in the Mexican press of Felix Gallardo at home. I think the answer is that those were incorrect or mislabeled um, and or manufactured. Because as best I can tell from some um, reports in uh, as of about September 24th, so, um, you know, a, a little bit ago, but... Um, there were issues with respect to his home release. There were issues with respect to transporting him to where he wants to to go for his home. And there were also issues surrounding um, the type of monitoring device they were going to use. So a bunch of different things. Long story short is as best I can tell, as of today, he still is in Puente Grande prison. Uh, in Guadalajara, um, which coincidentally I visited not too long ago. Um, and how long he's going to be there, I don't know. So we'll we'll kind of uh, keep to monitoring that. As I say, I um, have been trying to monitor some uh, Mexican press, and it's it's not always consistent. So do as best I can. Um, 
had a couple people reach out and ask about the extradition of Caro Quintero and um, you know the degree to which the U.S. government wants that. Have, you know, have um, issues surrounding the last narc made uh, extradition and or prosecution more or less likely. Uh, at, the one thing I want to say at this point is I am relatively certain that the DEA and certain elements within the Department of Justice and the U.S. Attorney's Office are working diligently to try to effectuate uh, his extradition. So any concern that they may have, and I have no idea that they have any concern whatsoever about how they try the case uh, especially if it's a case related to Agent Camarena's situation um, and any issues with respect to their witnesses, the witnesses who have testified before, any of that. Again, if they're worried about it, they're putting it to the side and, and figuring out how to deal with it. I've heard and seen nothing that indicates that the government or the DEAs in any way reluctant to act upon the extradition request and to act accordingly if uh, and when Caro Quintero gets extradited. Okay. As I mentioned a minute ago, a couple weeks ago we talked about what were facts, and I kind of called it the bastardization of the word facts. The facts should mean something concrete and and we now talk about, uh, you know, somebody said something, so it's a fact. Well, not necessarily. And, and so we went all through that. And then last week, we talked a little bit about credibility. Today, I want to talk about what I call pseudo-intellectualism. You can call it pseudoscience. Uh, you can refer to it in, in some ways. But what it really is, is it's the, the willingness or the ability of some to present an argument in a manner so that it seems more intellectual, more scientific, uh, more sound than it really is. And there are a, a few hallmarks of, kind of this trend that I think are important. And what I would ask you to do is after we go through these, think about these factors as we talk about the CIA and in the way we're going to in this episode and the, the following one. Think about these factors also when you think about the last narc, when you think about anything you've heard from Agent Boreas. Because I think it's important and I, I fervently believe that if we start to look at some of these hallmarks, uh, some trends are going to emerge, some things that are um, that are troubling. And that, again, allows us to make conclusions about credibility, as we talked about last week, and also conclusions as to whether or not something is likely to have happened. And again, that'll tie into the CIA. So what are some of the characteristics of this pseudo-intellectualism, as I call it. Well, one is they make claims that are unfalsifiable. 
By that, I mean things that you can't prove were wrong. So if somebody says they saw saw something or says they did something in Mexico in February of 1985, it's hard, if not impossible, to prove that didn't happen. So the degree to which someone or a group of someone's rely on statements or assertions that are by their very nature unfalsifiable is a hallmark of this pseudo-intellectualism. Number two, proponents of this methodology, this, this form of rhetoric, if you want, um, form of propaganda, however you want to call it. But one of the things they do is they have a very heavy reliance on anecdotes and testimonials. And I submit to you that that is almost, almost 100% the case with Agent Berea's and the last narc. You think about it. What do they rely on heavily? Alleged statements from Harrison, Lawrence Victor Harrison to Boreas. They rely on um, Calderoni's alleged statements to uh, Boreas. They rely heavily, heavily on alleged statements um, and testimonials from. Godoy and Lopez and Lyra, and what do they not have a whole lot of? Documents, evidence, corroboration, even the things that they try to purport as corroboration. Remember, Breas has said, oh, I was I saw in Camarena's notebook that um, Buendia's number was in there. And, and that... That story's changed over time, but let's say that he says that. Well, again, that's the same thing. That's that's an unfalsifiable testimonial, uh, and it's supported by absolutely nothing. There's not the documents with it, nothing like that. Something else that pseudo-intellectuals do is they cherry-pick confirming evidence, and they ignore or minimize disconfirming or contrary evidence. Pseudo-intellectuals also are unwavering. So nothing you can say is going to change their mind. No set of facts can change their minds. And I would argue that that's very much what's happened here, both with Agent Breas and, as we've talked about in the last couple weeks, with the last narc, because we know for a fact that many I'm not talking two or three folks. Many people told Tiller Russell and or folks with Amazon Prime in advance of the production and the airing that they needed to get other people involved because what they, the story they were getting was only part of the story and it was wrong. Many, many people. And I ask you, was there anywhere, anywhere in the last NARC on Amazon Prime where they said, 
here's a contrary thought. Here's what else people say. Nowhere. None. Right? Uh, Pseudo-intellectualism is hallmarked by extraordinary claims without sufficient proof. And we've talked about that since day one. There's amazing claims being made. Supported by almost no contemporaneous evidence whatsoever. Pseudo-intellectuals also profess absolute certainty. Again, you've seen that. The, the docu-series, The Last Dark, is 100% of that. Absolute certainty. No other possibility even considered at least as far as you can tell from what was produced and what was put on the air. Uh, Commits logical fallacies is another hallmark of pseudo-intellectualism, and we've talked about that over and over and over. And and, and I'll go back to maybe the the simplest one for me. If, because we're going to be talking about the CIA a little bit, but, you know, If the idea was Agent Camarena had found something out that was so important to the CIA that they needed to keep it quiet, would the best thing to do in response to that be to kidnap him, to create an international incident, to assure that dozens if not hundreds of agents from the DEA, the FBI, and and other places – came down to Mexico to look at everything that Agent Camarena had ever touched? Of course not. That makes no sense. The way to keep something quiet <laughs> isn't to, by drawing attention to it. Um, and then a, the last one, a great characteristic of pseudo-intellectualism is the idea that there are conspiracies to suppress their ideas. And that's Agent Brea's all over the place, right? Everything he says. Oh, it was Washington, D.C. I would have had this all done if it wasn't for Washington, D.C. Oh, I wrote memos, but those are in Washington, D.C. Yeah, whatever the case may be. So again, characteristics of pseudo-intellectualism. Unfalsifiable, heavy reliance on anecdotes and testimonials. Cherry picks confirming evidence. Unwavering, extraordinary claims with minimal proof professes certainty, logical fallacies, and claims conspiracies to suppress their ideas. Those are things that I would love for you to keep in the back of your mind as we talk, especially the next two weeks about the CIA, and as we go forward talking about other things, because I think it is a great, great way to assess and to analyze what was said in the last NARC, what's been said by Agent Boreas, and what may be said going forward. Okay, we're going to talk about the CIA, and I know (laughs) with absolute certainty that there's probably a couple of people saying, why, why, why are we talking about the CIA again? Why are we beating this drum? And I'm going to tell you why. Because the one comment that I get more than anything, no matter who I'm talking to, okay, I, 
comments on my website, comments on my uh, email, when I talk to people who've read the book on the street, heck, my best friend will say, come on, come on. It was the CIA. You know they were involved. How could it be that CIA wasn't really involved? People want the CIA to be involved. People believe the CIA was involved. Now, part of that is just that, that they think the CIA would do anything at any time for any reason, you know, all of that. So I want to talk not in, in detail as much about, um, you know, some of the things we've talked about with the CIA, but I want to try to analyze this perception, this perception that um, that the CIA had to have been involved. Come on, Jack. You're just, you just don't want to believe it. And we're going to do that in two different ways. So this week, I'm going to look at reports surrounding um, the Contras being involved with drug trafficking and involved with the CIA. Okay. We go back to Berea's fundamental premise. It's that there was something going on with the Contras and the support for the Contras. That's what Kiki found out. And that's what, what you know got him picked up. So we're going to look a little bit about the reports the investigations into that drug trafficking. Okay, we're going to go through that in in a little bit of detail. We're going to look at some of the allegations uh, and things that were discussed in the Kerry Committee report. Kerry's committee is one of the major ones that investigated the CIA and the Contras. We'll talk a little bit about what they talk about. We'll talk um, about a couple of other things. And when we're done there, which will end this week's discussion, we're going to look at what is missing. All this information, but what's missing. And then next week, we're going to look at a couple of very, very specific allegations. And we're going to do the same thing. And then we're going to bring it all together with some conclusions, some hypotheses, and maybe try and um, not lock a door, but let maybe close a door. So, as we know, um, Iran-Contra, however you want to term it, really kind of exploded in late 86, mid-1987, and there were a number of investigations, a number of hearings, and I think it's important to understand how extensive that was. So there was a joint committee of the United States Congress officially called Congressional Committees Investigating the Iran-Contra Affair. They held hearings in mid-1987. Those transcripts were published. Uh, They um, are still available through the government printing office. They, um, including text, exhibits, uh, reference, etc., they go for several, several, several hundred pages. 
the um, that committee also heard classified testimony uh, from Oliver North um, and from Admiral Poindexter, and there was a um, transcript, a redacted transcript of that session that also was was published. The Joint Committee then published a final report, which was titled Report of the Congressional Committees Investigating the Iran-Contra Affair with Supplemental Minority and Additional Views. Um, most of those... Uh, what? Let me back up. Sorry. That report was also published. Again, several hundred pages long between all of the different reports. The records of that committee, the Joint Committee, uh, are in the National Archives, many of which are still non-public. So for some reason, some are classified. In addition to the Joint Committee, the House Foreign Affairs Committee, the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, and the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, also heard testimony, and there are reports and transcripts in the congressional record for those um, hearings. The Senate Intelligence Committee actually issued two reports, the preliminary inquiry into the sale of arms to Iran and possible diversion of funds to the Nicaraguan resistance, which came out in February of 1987. And then there's a second one titled, Were Relevant Documents Withheld from the Congressional Committees Investigating the Iran-Contra Affair, which came out in June of 1989. The report of the Office of the Independent Counsel, the Independent Counsel for the... uh, that was appointed by the Congress to look at this, produced four reports. Um, Its interim reports um, are in the congressional record. The final report was published as the final report of the Independent Council for Iran-Contra matters. His records uh, are available at the National Archives. The Tower Committee was a report from the President's Special Review Board that was chaired by Senator Tower, or then-Senator Tower, and they issued a report that, uh, again, known as the Tower Commission Report, was published in February 1987. In fact, it then got published by um, Bantam Books, the Tower Commission Report, another heavy volume of documents and materials. And then we have the Kerry Committee report, which itself goes several hundred pages and makes a lot of very interesting claims. So what's the point here? The point here, and we're going to talk about the Kerry Committee in just a second, lots and lots of investigations, right? Many committees, many hearings, lots of testimony, lots of investigations, lots of people getting paid a lot of money to look into this. And volume 
upon volume upon volume of reports, analyses, documents, etc. Then let's look for a minute at what the Kerry Committee report says. So the Kerry Committee report makes it pretty clear that the Contras were heavily involved in drug trafficking. Now, I'm going to tell you that some people I know and trust have told me that the Contras didn't need money from drug trafficking, at least at after a certain point, because they were being heavily funded by Saudi Arabia. I'm not sure if that's true, have no independent proof of it, but be that as it may, the Kerry Committee talks a lot about, um, about the drug trafficking. And I just want to read you a little bit. It says, in, in part, and this is on page 86 of the, the final report, the subcommittee found that the contra drug links included, number one, involvement in narcotics trafficking by individuals associated with the contra movement. Number two, participation of narcotics traffickers in Contra supply organizations through business relationships with Contra organizations. Three, provision of assistance to the Contras by narcotics traffickers, including cash, weapons, planes, pilots, air supply services, and other materials on a voluntary basis by the traffickers. And last, payments to drug traffickers by the United States Department or United States State Department, of funds authorized by the Congress for humanitarian assistance to the Contras, in some cases after the traffickers had been indicted by federal law enforcement agencies on drug charges, in others while traffickers were under active investigation by these same agencies. Okay, so that's pretty damning information. Well, then they go in a little bit deeper detail that I think are important for our purposes. So one of the things they do is they talk about uh, pilots, people who were flying some of these materials around. And one of the pilots they refer to is a Costa Rican pilot by the name of Werner Lotz. And... This is real short, but they say Werner Lotz, a Costa Rican pilot serving sentences for drug smuggling, testified that there was little the Costa Rican government could do to deal with the continuing drug trafficking. He said, Costa Rica has only got civil guards underpaid and easily bought. To be very clear, our guard down there is in barefoot, and you're talking about 50 men to cover 400 kilometers, maybe. And then they go in and they talk about some of the operations that Werner Lotz was involved in. Some of you may remember the name Werner Lotz or know it. Werner Lotz was the person who flew Carl Quintero to Costa Rica. Hmm. That's interesting. The Kerry Committee heard testimony. From the man who flew Caracantero to Costa Rica. Okay. They also talk about Felix Rodriguez. And there's a whole uh, section of the report 
that talks about allegations as to whether or not uh, Felix Rodriguez had bribed somebody to be involved in or to provide shipment to um, the the rebels. And they go through and they talk about whether or not um, that was true and, and various things. And they got testimony from um, a man by the name of Ramon Milan Rodriguez, who had made claims against Felix Rodriguez, who took a lie detector test, which um, ended up, at least according to the Kerry report, uh, showing signs of deceptiveness, but he was making allegations that Felix Rodriguez was trying to get uh, monies and aid down to the Contras. Again, they got testimony from Felix Rodriguez. They got testimony from Ramon Milan Rodriguez. They got testimony from other folks. We all know the alleged connection uh, made by uh, the last narc to a Russell and Agent Perez with respect to Felix Rodriguez. So again, all this, all these reports, all these investigations, and then they talk to people who are right involved in these allegations, right? They talk to Werner Lotz. They talk to Felix Rodriguez. They even have a section on Matabiasteros. They talk about the role of Setco. They talk about that um, Setco is... Um, an airline company which, among other services, provided cargo transport services for Contras based in Honduras. We all know, again, the allegations relating to Matabiasteros' relationship. Okay? So all this information, Kerry Committee has some of the really pertinent people right there. Then we see some other things that we know with respect to the CIA. So in, we're going to, 1986, September of 1986, Costa Rica, some press in Costa Rica, discovers a mile-long secret runway. Um, <laughs> I like how this is worded. This is from the, the uh, Tico Times in Costa Rica. But... Uh, a mile-long secret runway built on a lonely tongue of land jutting into the Pacific Ocean just south of the Nicaraguan border became a major embarrassment for both United States and Costa Rican governments. It offered dramatic proof that the administration of U.S. President Ronald Reagan had been using Costa Rica to supply the Nicaraguan rebels running roughshod over both U.S. and Costa Rican law. And they go on to talk about the investigation and, and everything else. So that's number one. Number two, we can go fast forward a little bit. And in 2007, a, an aircraft, a Gulfstream 2, crashed in the jungle in the Yucatan in Mexico. Uh, the plane had four tons of cocaine on board. And the reports are that the Gulfstream with a tail number, specific tail number here, uh, was transporting CIA rendition prisoners from Europe to Guantanamo Bay. And when it did, it had these narcotics on it. And there's several press reports that will talk about the uh, the involvement of the, the CIA, how they found them out. 
and they actually go way back to 1984 and talk about how some of these uh, transactions had had continued and developed since as early as August of 1984. Uh, And then even recently, recently the... um, the state spokesman for the Mexican state of Chihuahua, okay, um, after uh, a, the Mexican state had been, um, it, you know, subject to a lot of you know the the uh, the violence that we talked about and stuff, but the the spokesman for the government of the state of Chihuahua comes out and says very specifically, he says the CIA controls the drug trafficking. He said, you know, we can't fight it because the CIA and other international security outfits are involved. He says, and they don't fight the drug traffickers. Instead, they try to control and manage the illegal drug market for their own benefit. So, where does this take us? You've got thousands and thousands of pages of documents relating to the Iran-Contra affair. You've got testimony from people directly related to the allegations made by the last narc, by Agent Bereas and others, including Werner Lotz, etc. You've got specific testimony about Matabiasteros. You've got direct reference in the Tower Commission report, in the Kerry report, about the Camarena murder. You've got press that since the 1980s has been following, tracking, identifying Cases of the CIA's involvement in drug trafficking uh, in Central America, and it's at a minimum its relationship with the traffickers, particularly with respect to the Contras. We're going to talk a little bit next week, but we talked in the past about Gary Webb and his allegations of uh, CIA involvement in drug trafficking and how. The CIA was largely, if not principally, responsible for the uh, the growth of crack cocaine, particularly in the inner cities, and its disproportionate effect on the black communities. As we talked about before, whether or not you agree with Mr. Webb, whether or not you think he was a good reporter or not, or a good journalist, he certainly wasn't afraid to stretch the envelope a little bit. He certainly wasn't afraid to talk about these things. Uh, He certainly wasn't afraid to ask hard questions. But what's the one thing that's missing from all of this, all of this investigation, all of these witness statements? One thing missing. One single shred, one sentence, one implication. There is nothing in any of this, nothing that even hints at the CIA being involved 
in Agent Camarena's abduction, interrogation, and murder. Not one damn thing. How can that possibly be? If there's a conspiracy here, God damn, it's good. Because nobody's saying anything. And keep in mind, these reports, these, you know, these hearings, they're in 87. They're in, you know, 88. You've got reports being issued in February of 87. And, and you know, then in 89, we're talking people who were there, people with knowledge. We talk, they talked to Werner Lotz, who flew Camarena, and nothing. Nothing at all. Please, please don't think that's a coincidence. Okay. This is a little bit of a short episode today, but it was either do two shorter ones or one long one. But next week, we're going to tie this together. Okay. And what we're going to do is we're going to come back. We're going to look a little bit more. We're going to, I've got some very, very specific allegations and discussions about the CIA's involvement with drug traffickers. And we're going to look at those, and we're going to do the same thing that we did today and analyze how they fit into things. And then we're going to circle back to this idea of pseudo-intellectualism. And we're going to analyze the flawed logic, the flawed narrative the real propaganda of Agent Breyer's and the last narc, specifically with respect to the CIA. Uh, okay, so that's that's the CIA for today. Newsletter's gone out. Um, we're on number two. If you have thoughts, comments, other things you'd like to see in it, let me know. And... Um, I, I'm more than happy to, to jump in and do and put new things in. If you'd like your name or, or you'd like the newsletter, all I need is an email address. You can send it to uh, LlewellynWriting at gmail.com. You can go on my website, which is being updated still, but I think we're about ready to get it done and launch it. Um, and, uh, you know, put in a reminder for my book, Someone Had to Die, and, of course, Jaime Kirkendall's book. And uh, that'll wrap it up for this week. We will be back next week to kind of conclude our analysis on the CIA, talk about a couple of other things. So have a great week. <laughs>